Thanks for listening to the teaching podcast for People of Hope Church. To learn more about our ministry in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, visit peopleofhope.church. Hello again. We are continuing in a series to remind all of us that God absolutely cares about the relationships in our lives. You have relationships at home, you have relationships at work, you have relationships at school, and sometimes those relationships are going strong and sometimes they are strained or fractured or broken. Sometimes they can feel more like a war is going on than a friendship. And sometimes people who are together for a long time, even family members, can get crossways with each other. Sometimes words are said, steps are taken, choices are made, and there's regret floating all around the air. Sometimes these relationships are just flat out difficult. And I want to say to you this morning that beyond your salvation, as a part of your salvation, as part of the grace of God in your life, the God of the universe cares about every single one of those relationships. So we're spending a couple of weeks together talking about adding biblical ingredients to our relationships to make the good ones even better and to even help repair some of the broken and difficult relationships. Not only do I want you to hear this morning that God cares about your relationships, but I want you to hear that your church cares about your relationships. And we want to challenge you, we want to call you, and cheer you on, and equip you, and help you, and guide you, and lead you in a direction of restoration and repair for the broken ones, and lead you to some good faith skills, some discipleship skills that will serve you and help you to take the good relationships at home, work, and school and even make them better. So this morning, we're adding in another ingredient, and we'll get to that in just a few minutes. Open your Bibles to the book of Luke, chapter 17. We're going to spend a few minutes in four verses here. Luke 17, verses 1 to 4. It'll come up on your screen, but if you're reading along today in your book or on your device, turn with me to the book of Luke, chapter 17. If you don't own a copy of the scriptures that's easy to read, we would love to give you one. If you'll stop by the starting point center in the hallway lobby uh, on your way out and just say, hey, can I have one of the Bibles? They'll take care of you and that'll be yours to keep. We would really love to make sure everybody who wants a Bible can have one. Here's what Jesus says, and we know these are Jesus' words because why? They're in red on our Bible. Are they in red up here? Nope. We'll have to work on that at some point along the way. Luke 17, verse 1. Jesus said to his disciples, so he's talking to his bought-in people, just as we are this morning, things that cause people to stumble are bound to come, but woe to anyone through whom they come. Jesus is saying, look, I get it. I'm the son of God and I'm sinless, but I get it that mankind is going to stumble. People are going to blow it. People are going to say the wrong thing, do the wrong thing. People are going to make unwise choices. People are going to make ungodly choices. People are going to stumble because we are sinful. Anybody else relate to that? We're sinful? We're bound to stumble. And I actually find great comfort in that verse. Jesus knows that we're flawed and he's at peace with it. (laughs) So Jesus is not absolutely thrown for a loop when you say the wrong thing or do the wrong thing. He knows that things that cause us to stumble are going to come. 
but woe to anyone through whom they come. So let's not lead each other astray. Let's not be the tempter that gets a person in the body of Christ to fall into temptation. Things that cause people to blow it are going to come. They're bound to come. But woe to the one who leads people down the wrong path. It would be better, Jesus says, for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around their neck than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. So watch yourselves. When Jesus says, so watch yourselves, he's talking to this little flock he has in front of them. Take care of each other in this way. You're going to blow it from time to time, but don't lead each other to blow it. Don't be a stumbling block. Don't be a tempter to your friends in the body of Christ. Then he goes on to say, just watch out for each other. Watch over each other. You and I need to come to terms that every once in a while, you and I are going to blow it. We're going to say the wrong thing, do the wrong thing in our home, at our work, at our school. We're going to create some offense. And we're going to watch over each other. And Jesus is going to tell us how this is incredibly important. Look at the next part of that. So watch yourselves. For if your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. Now, the word rebuke there does not mean that you point a finger and shout at them. I rebuke you. That's not a good idea. To rebuke someone is to come and to have a conversation with them that brings up the truth of the situation. To rebuke someone is to hold a mirror up to them so they can see what's really going on. To help them see how they have offended you. And I don't mean that they've hurt your feelings. I mean that they have wronged you. Can anyone else agree with me that we're far too easily offended in our modern culture? But when a genuine wrong has happened, when a genuine offense has been committed, you rebuke that person. You say, hey, can we have a conversation? I just need to let you know that what you said caused this in my life. You need to understand that what you did caused this in my life. I want you to understand that your choice in this situation had consequences. I want you to understand that your words were absolutely out of bounds. I want you to to understand, can we have a conversation for a minute? We need to talk about this. We need to get this out front on the table. I need to get this off my chest. I need to get it out in the open. I need to speak the truth to you in love, full of grace. I need to speak the truth to you right now. I need to let you know that the words you chose were absolutely inappropriate and dishonored Jesus and dishonored me. That's a rebuke. We come to each other and we say, hey, can we have a conversation? Because I love you and I don't want anything to be between us. Isn't that the way it's supposed to work? So husbands and wives, you love each other. So you don't want anything to come between you. So speak the painful truth in love so that you may remove the the resentment, the building anger that's beginning to surge and speak the truth. Say, hey, can we have a conversation about what we talked about earlier? Can Can we revisit what just went down with your parents? Can we talk out loud about what's going on? Hey, we need to talk about how you just handled that with the kids. That's a rebuke. A rebuke is like, okay, hold on, hold on, hold on, stop. Let's talk. It's not angry. It's not accusatory. It's not meant to beat them down. 
It's not meant to make them feel small. It's not meant to judge them and point out that you're better than them. It is meant to bring the truth to the surface. Because I don't know about you, but in my home, in my work, in my other places that I go, in all of my relationships, Satan works the most when things are kept in the dark. Amen? There may be things irritating you from something that happened at school, students, six months ago, but you haven't brought it up, and it's just causing your life to be different. There may be things going on at your workplace that you haven't brought up, and it happened two years ago, and it is absolutely consuming your mind almost every day, and you haven't brought it to the surface. Jesus says, if someone sins against you, rebuke them, and if they repent, forgive them. Even if they sin against you seven times in a day and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you, what's the word there? Must, ooh, ooh, you must forgive them. It's not that way on the screen, but as I look at the text of scripture that I've got this morning, those words are in red, ouch. You must forgive them. If they come back to you after an offense, what they said or what they did has wronged you, and they come and they clean it up, and they truly repent to you, you must forgive them. So in this interchange this morning, in this interchange of Jesus talking to his disciples, look, people are going to blow it. Things that cause people to sin are bound to come, but don't be a tempter. Don't lead people astray. Don't be the cause of someone's stumbling. And watch over each other. And if somebody does blow it and they come back to you and say, look, I blew it, then you need to forgive them. We need to make sure that that transaction happens. An offense, a rebuke, (laughs) and a forgiveness. That needs to happen. An offense, a repentance, And a forgiveness. We need to make sure that that transaction happens. This is how we watch over each other. Because if you blow it with me, Jesus doesn't want me to write you off. Jesus wants me to be engaged in this transaction with you. To bring it to the surface. To have a talk about it. Then you repent. And then I forgive and we move on. There's a lot in this passage here. So what in the world is the relationship ingredient, this biblical ingredient in all of these things? Pastor Kyle, what in the world are we talking about today? Um, We're going to get to that in just a minute. (laughs) Look here in the scripture text with me up on the screen. I want you to see four things out of this text. I'm going to go quickly through these. Number one, you need to expect offenses to happen. We are going to have to get comfortable with the transaction of offense, repentance, and forgiveness because you and I are probably not going to stop sinning anytime soon. Anybody else think that's probably true? We're going to have to get comfortable with this transaction. We can't live in the idea of, oh, no, 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 I can't. I'll I'll try never to mess up. You're going to mess up. And we have to be careful that we, that we don't ever move away from the idea of repentance. We need to repent. We don't want to just pretend it didn't happen. Pretend we didn't say it. Pretend we didn't do it. We need to repent. And we need to quickly forgive. We need to pour buckets of grace on the shame of their poor choice. That's the gospel at work. 
You just offended me, but I'm going to love you, and I'm going to fulfill and finish the transaction. I'm going to, you're coming to me with repentance, and I'm not going to make you squirm. I'm not going to make you stew. I'm not going to make you feel it down deep that you were really wrong. I'm going to bail you out in that moment with buckets and buckets of grace. I'm going to say to you, yes, you did blow it, but I forgive you. Let's move on. The second thing I want you to see in this text is that watching over each other includes this repentance and forgiveness moment. This is how we watch over our community of faith together. We need to make sure that there's never a moment where you're avoiding somebody in the house of God because something was, went down. They said something or did something. That lingering offense that never gets dealt with, that does not honor Jesus. Amen? That festers and that becomes a playground for the enemy to divide. And this ought to be a house of hope and a house of grace And if someone offends, we have to work in this repentance, forgiveness, repentance, forgiveness, repentance, forgiveness, repentance, forgiveness. Number three in this text, I want you to notice that relational repentance is the assumed behavior of a disciple. Relational repentance is the assumed behavior of a disciple. Look what Jesus says right here. Even if they send you, sin against you seven times in a day and seven times they come back to you saying, I repent. So Jesus just assumes, okay guys, you're going to blow it, but then you're going to repent, right? Because that's what disciples do. You're going to go clean it up. Relational repentance is the assumed behavior. When you say the wrong thing, when you do the wrong thing, you own it and you clean it up. The fourth thing I want you to see in this text is that forgiveness is a matter of obedience to Jesus. That big four-letter word, must. You must forgive them. So if I offend you and I repent to you, it isn't between me and you now that forgiveness is a big deal. It's between you and Jesus that forgiveness is a big deal. Your forgiveness for the one who has repented, your forgiveness is a matter of obedience with Jesus. Jesus says you must forgive them. So our ingredient this morning, that if you add this to your relationship, if you add these to your relationships at homework and school, will really help. This is the ingredient this morning. We're calling it together relational repentance. Relational repentance. And, and you can kind of relax a little bit because I scaled it down. It was originally confessional relational repentance, but that's just a mouthful and silly. But it's not just repentance between you and God. It's relational repentance. If you will add this into your relationships, it will make all the difference. If you will go back and clean up where you've offended, it will make all the difference. If you will own it, if you will say, I was wrong at home, at school, at work, it will make all the difference in your relationships. Right now, even as I start to talk about this, owning and repairing our offenses through a worthy apology, we're coming to that, and a change in behavior, even as I talk about this, some of us are squirming with God. Can I find the exception where I don't have to do this? 
can I get someone to write me a note, please, where I can get out of repentance free? Relational repentance, owning and repairing our offenses through a worthy apology and a change in behavior. If you do this, it'll be a game changer at home, at work, and at school. Let's talk about a worthy apology for a minute. What is a worthy apology? Let me give you a few things. First of all, a worthy worthy apology is when we are repentant and specific. We're repentant and specific. Listen very carefully. This is when you say, I'm sorry for, instead of I'm sorry if. I'm sorry if you didn't like what I did. That's not an apology. I'm sorry if that made you feel bad. That's not an apology. That is not owning your word or action. Owning it is being repentant and specific. This is when we say, I am sorry for. We use words like this, I apologize for. You fill in the blank. You say, I was wrong for, and you specifically name what you said or what you did. I messed up when, and you specifically name what you said and what you did. But it's not some passive, pretend, veiled apology. Well, I can see you're flustered and upset. Well, I'm sorry if that you didn't like it. You're not really sorry. You're not really repentant until you are specific to own and repair your offenses with a worthy apology. There's another issue here about a worthy apology, and it's specific, and it's repentant, and it's different from the chronic apologizer. Do you know people who are chronic apologizers? Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. Okay, good. I'm, I'm sorry. Okay, good, good. Hey, can you flip that light switch for me? Yeah, oh, I'm sorry. What did you do? If you're a chronic apologizer, then you have watered down the weight of your worthy apologies. You have diluted them to the, to the point that when you do look someone in the eye and say, I need to own this moment right now for my words or for my actions, and I'm telling you, I was wrong for. I apologize for. It, I messed up when. A chronic apologizer is actually a, I, I'm, I've been one of these. My, mine was so bad at one time that I felt like I needed to apologize for everything. One time I got, uh, I got pulled over by a police officer, and we had a long conversation, and, and he was almost finished and walking back to his, his police car. This was probably 22 years ago. And, and I said, I'm sorry, officer. I'm so, so sorry. Sorry, sorry, but you forgot to write me the ticket. And I had a friend in the car with me. He was like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> I was like, I don't know. I'm sorry. I just apologized right then. I, just, I, I was a chronic apologizer, and, and I was one of those people. And here's the deal. In that moment, it was an insecurity down deep in me. And a chronic apologizer is someone who is, who is really fearful and insecure. And what they're doing when they say, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I didn't turn on the light switch. Oh, I'm sorry I didn't know that you wanted you know, cream in your coffee. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. What they really want is, do you still like me? Are we Okay. It's not a worthy apology 
in the heart of repentance. We need to be repentant and we need to be specific and stop saying, I'm sorry if, and say, I'm sorry for. Anybody squirming with God yet? Anybody pushing back on God? I don't want to name my poor choice. I don't want to call it out loud. I don't want to admit my fault. That is our pride talking. Amen? So why relational repentance is absolutely important to your relationships? Let's move through with these four things and then we'll be close to being finished today. Why is relational repentance important? Number one, it's an act of responsibility. No excuses, no shifting blame. A mature, grown-up person takes responsibility, amen? We own it. It's not like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm late, my alarm didn't go off. That's an excuse. (laughs) You're like, preacher, what are you doing? I'm trying to help us grow in our relationships. I'm trying to help us become more and more comfortable with taking responsibility. As a culture, we need to take responsibility because if we don't do it in little ways like that, I'm sorry I'm late, my alarm didn't go off, or my phone didn't do its thing, or whatever, or my mom forgot to wake me up, oh my goodness. If we don't grow up in those responsibilities, then one day when we're moms and dads and leaders, we are not going to be fulfilling what God wants us to fulfill in our own homes. Young people, I know it's hard to swallow deeply and say, I was wrong. You're right, I was late. My fault completely. I will do better. It's hard to do that, but you must take responsibility. It honors God to say, I was wrong. Moms and dads, please model this for your family. Moms and dads, model this for your coworkers. Students, model this for your classmates. Moms and dads, in your home, you ought to, when you blow it with your kids, when you go too far, when you overreact, when you don't handle the moment like you should have, you need to go back with your child and clean it up. You need to take responsibility, and in doing so, you will teach them. You will teach them that we mess up, things that cause people to sin are bound to come. But when one sins, one repents. And when you repent, then they forgive. Let's teach that in our homes, amen? Moms and dads, model that. Go back to your child. I've had to do that so many times. I've got three kids. One of them's 24, and one of them's 21, and one of them's 19. I've had to go then from time to time and say, listen, um, daddy is sorry. I need to tell you I'm sorry for the way I raised my voice to you. I overreacted. You're still in trouble for shoving your sister into a wall. But I shouldn't have lost my temper the way I did. And I did not treat you the way I wanted to treat you in that moment. I got upset and I overreacted. Will you please forgive me? You are not demonstrating weakness. You are modeling responsibility. If you mess it up, And you will, amen? Clean it up. Teach your kids 
teach your spouse. Students, teach your classmates. Take responsibility. Responsibility, not just for your actions, but also for your words. I think the words are one of the most overlooked things. Where you say something to someone and you, in a weak moment, you, you went for the, you, you know, in the, in the old terms of the uh, uh, karate kid, you decided to sweep the leg. You, you decided to, to, to say the cutting word. You went for the kill shot. Go back and clean it up and say, listen, I apologize for saying those things. That was out of bounds. Will you forgive me? Relational repentance is hard, but it's important because, number one, it's an act of responsibility. Number two, it's important because it is an act of love. God loves it when we show other people that they matter. And when you don't repent to someone you've offended, you are saying to them, you're not worth my confession to you. You don't matter. I don't care about you enough to humble myself to you. Relational repentance shows people that they matter to you. It's an act of love. In addition to that, where you show them that they matter, that they're worth your confession, it is also this moment where you can quench their resentment. You know you blew it with them. And between now and your repentance... They're stewing on that. They're upset. You can quench that fire of resentment with your repentance. Go back and clean it up. It's an act of love. Let me see a show of hands this morning. Anybody who's laid awake at night replaying a conversation from the day that didn't go well? Let me see him. Look around the room. That's every hand in the room. If that person who caused you to lay awake at night came and repented to you, it would quench that stress and strain and anxiety as you could clean it up, repair it, and move on. So do that for the one you've offended. Clean it up. So it's an act of responsibility, it's an act of love. Number three, it is an act of integrity. God loves the truth and so do other people. Bring it to the light and call it as it is. In your workplace, own it. I made the wrong decision. I messed up. I blew it. I didn't get that done own it because that's honest the moment you start trying to blame or make excuses you're trying to take the truth spotlight off of you and put it on something else on your phone on your mom on your coworker, on your teammate well sorry sorry i had a group project and i did my part but they didn't do all their part well that happens a lot But we want to be men and women of the truth. Amen? God loves the truth, and so do other people. You may be thinking, well, I can't in my workplace admit that I'm wrong. Oh, yes, you can. Because when you are humbling yourself enough to admit that you've blown it, and you clean up what you messed up, those people will follow you anywhere. 
Because what people are looking for is not a perfect person because no such person exists. What they're looking for is an authentic, loving, honest person. Amen? So bring it out and repent. There is no exception if you're the boss at the office. There is no exception if you're the parent at home. There is no exception if you're the teacher in the school. You also need to model and demonstrate bringing this out as a moment of integrity. God loves the truth, and people do too. There are no exceptions. Finally, number four. Relational repentance is an act of humility. God loves it when we squash our pride. Because let's face it, our pride will try to talk us out of admitting that we were part of the problem. (laughs) Anybody else relate or is that just me? Our pride will like have a really good set of arguments of why you don't need to apologize. Our pride will go, no, 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 they just need to get over it. I'm the boss. I'm the parent. Our pride will say, I don't want to look weak. Our pride will say, you had good reason. Our pride would say, you're just toughening them up. Our pride will say, they need to learn that life's, not unfa- that life's not fair. Our pride will come up with a long list of reasons why we do not need to relationally repent. And I'm telling you that it is an expectation for disciples of Jesus that if you offend your brother or your sister, you clean it up. Because Jesus expects that transaction of grace to happen. I blew it. I was wrong for. I messed up when. I apologize for. I'm sorry. Will you please forgive me? And they pour out grace and forgive you. Jesus wants that to be the way of the kingdom. He wants that to be the way we relate to each other so that sin doesn't overtake us and doesn't inflate our pride, and doesn't leave us wallowing in shame, but grace and love and truth and humility went out. Maybe you didn't get this modeled to you as a kid, cleaning up mistakes, and maybe the thought of you saying to your own child or to your own coworkers or your own employees, maybe the thought of you saying this to them, you're, you're thinking, I can't say I was wrong. I, I, I just like the words don't even sound right in my mouth. I, I, I know that that wasn't modeled for you, and I know that that wasn't the way you were trained, but this is the way of the kingdom of God, and this is how we break the cycle of sin in the world. We come And we repent relationally. Because friends, a worthy apology is not weakness. It is actually humble leadership. At your office, you're all human. At your school, you're all human. At your house, you're all human. You're going to have a cranky day. You're going to have a bad day. You're going to have a day when your fuse is about that short. You're going to have a day where you just overreact and blow up. You're going to have a day when you go to sweep the need for the kill shot phrase. You know what button to push. We're all going to do it. But as leaders in our household, as the grown-ups, as the leaders in our world, in our workplace, in school, we must lead the way and show here's what grown-ups do. 
so that sin doesn't fracture and divide and leave in its wake people buried under shame. Here's what you do when a human blows it. You repent and then you forgive. And well done to the mom or dad who can say, sweetheart, I was wrong. Well done to the boss who can say, team, guess what? I messed up. I didn't get the report done when it was supposed to be done. That's on me. I messed up. Well done, leader, when you model the closing of that transaction. Thanks for admitting where you blew it. I forgive you. Little footnote here in this teaching this morning. Romans 12, 18 says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. But some wrongs you can't confess. The people aren't around anymore. Maybe the last conversation you had with a relative before they passed was bad. Maybe the last memory that this friend has of you is your betrayal. And you don't even know where they are. It's been decades. The verse says, if it's possible. So if your aunt has died and you, it's not possible to clean it up and to confess to them, if that's not possible, then you need to stand in the grace of God and lay it down. Stop replaying that video in your mind. There is grace enough to cover your offense, even though you can't speak it to them right now. And I felt like the Lord wanted me to add that in this morning because I feel like there's somebody in the room who's carrying a lot of regret and shame for an offense you committed against someone who's not in your life anymore. Either they've moved away or they're gone or you've lost touch with them or they've passed away. You need to let that go and not let the enemy, the king of sin, not let him continue to win in your heart. Because the grace of God is bigger. Amen? So if that's you, let it go. Put it down. Stand in the grace of God and move on. This morning, I've decided to add in one of our cooking ingredients for the day. And here, here's the ingredients for, for today. Last week, it was, it was vanilla. Uh, this week, it's garlic. Anybody a fan of garlic in the room? I love garlic. Garlic is really, really strong. It's, it's good for you, too. That's right. It's exactly right. Garlic is very good for you. It's, it's a member of the, the, the family of kind of with onions and leeks and those kind of things. And it's got bulbs, and you, here's a picture of it on the screen. You can sort of see the, the, the um, cloves that are inside the parchment paper-like wrapping. That's actually referred to as a tunic um, around the, uh, the garlic bulb. There, These things are, have been around forever. You can actually find the word garlic uh, mentioned in the Bible, in the book of Numbers. Um, people were complaining about how good it was back in Egypt, <laughs> where we had garlic. And that's part of the history of garlic, is it was actually used to pay and feed the workers who built the pyramids. You see that in Egyptian history. You see that all over the place. It was actually a big deal in Greece. 
In ancient Greece, the Olympians used to eat garlic to give them more energy. It was like, like doing a little five-hour energy burst before they would do their Olympic competition. Who knew? So next, if you're a cross-country runner, you know, next time you get ready, just eat a big piece of garlic and you'll be great. A little extra boost. But one of the things that they also found out is it was really good. It has antibiotic tendencies, and it has, it has antiseptic tendencies. It was actually good, mixed with a couple of other things, for snake bites. Can you imagine? I'm not a doctor. I'm not recommending these treatments. <laughs> but they found it to be helpful in that way. They actually referred to garlic in ancient Greece, some of the, the writings that we found have, that they referred to this as snake grass because it could be used to help in some of those things. I found this really interesting. Garlic is so strong. I mean, if you've eaten garlic, we know it. But it adds such rich, rich flavor to a dish. I mean, it's glorious at times when garlic is done right. Garlic also has this interesting history in our world wars. I don't know if you know this, but in World War I and World War II, garlic was used on the battlefield when people were wounded, they would apply garlic to their wounds because it would stave off infection and gangrene. There are wounds that have been inflicted in your home. There are offenses that have gone unnamed in your office. There are wrongs that have been said and done at your school. And you need to add the ingredient of relational repentance. Because like garlic, it will stave off infection. It's strong. It can help prevent something that is broken becoming life-threatening. When I was 27 years old, I was in a very um, influential leadership position in a church. And I was an unhappy person. I was a people pleaser. I was a chronic apologizer. Sorry, I forgot to mention that. I was just a jerk. I was arrogant. I was cranky all the time. And I had a staff that worked for me that I was just, I was probably a jerk of a boss to them. I know I was. I moved on from that. And about a year later, when I was 28 years old, sitting in my office at another church, God dealt with me that I needed to relationally repent with them. And I don't say this to you to say, oh, look at me. I relationally repented with some people that I had uh, offended. But what I do point to you is this. God made it clear to me. And it broke my heart that I had allowed my choices and my words to divide. And I had wounded some people. So I was living three states away from where I was, and I called up those former staff members on the phone, and I, I called them up, and I said, listen, you may not have thought about this a day since we were together, but I need to say this out loud to you. I need to apologize for these things. I need to say that I'm sorry for doing this. 
I was wrong. Will you please forgive me? I talked to two people, and one of them said, wow, I can't believe you're saying that. That is incredible that you're saying that. That really helps me because I've been thinking about those days, and it weighs me down when I do. Another person was like, wow, that's great of you to say that, but I hadn't thought a single thing of it since then. There hasn't been a burden in my life, but thank you. In Luke 17, Jesus says, even if they they repent to you seven times, even if they come back to you. So the picture here is someone who comes back to you and repents. Jesus says you need to forgive them. Who do you need to go back to? What phone call do you need to make? What offense do you need to clean up? as an act of love, as an act of integrity, as an act of humility. There is a transaction in the kingdom of God. When we blow it, we own it, we clean it up, and then we walk in the grace of forgiveness. I wonder right now if God's putting on your heart and mind something you said to your spouse this weekend or to one of your kids this weekend, or something that happened at work last week or last year. What's the Lord leading you to do this morning in terms of relational repentance? Would you bow your head and close your eyes? Would you just have a moment of of commitment between you and him? I don't know your story. I don't know your needs. But if the Holy Spirit is nudging you to relationally repent, to speak the words, I was wrong, I need to apologize for that don't fight the Holy Spirit in this moment, dear ones. Do not resist. He is leading you to help your relationships be better than you ever thought they could be. Do not, do not resist Him. Squash your pride. Oh, Lord, by faith, we believe that owning our offenses with worthy apologies could be an antiseptic or an antibiotic in our relationships. By faith, we believe that our repentance could keep from something festering. Oh, Lord, we want to we obey you, follow your directions of when we sin, and we're going to, when we sin against each other, give us the strength, give us the boldness, give us the power over our pride to say the words, I messed up, I was wrong, please forgive me.